We live in a world of songs. Uh, just this week, uh, we heard some of our secular songs and choruses, didn't we? The NRL's Women in Lee Ground was quickly overshadowed by seven Sea Eagle players refusing to wear a pride jersey with rainbow colours. You most likely heard about it. Uh, it was a complete management mess, uh, and to make matters worse, Manly lost on Thursday night. Uh, and uh, it was a complete debacle. But nonetheless, we heard people sing, didn't we? We heard their choruses, their songs. Just put on the jersey, mate. What's wrong with you? Don't you get it? Just put it on, mate. Just accept it. This is the hill you're going to die on? Credit Fox News and Fox Sports. You see, this week has been another reminder that we live in a world where our loyalties are being questioned and that we're surrounded by all manner of secular songs and creed. Let inclusion trump your religion. Let your sexuality trump your religion. And that's just this week's, let alone the ones that no doubt affect us more deeply day by day. Let the property market trump your religion. Let safety and health trump your religion. Let your popularity trump your religion. For me, in a few weeks, I've got a baby coming on the way. And already I'm hearing, let your kid's future trump your religion. You see, all of us, we live in a world of songs. But that's why I think these chapters in Revelation 4 and 5 are just so important. When the discipleship program of your society sings and declares, follow Caesar, follow Rome, or follow self, a vision of heaven and these heavenly songs is exactly what you need. You see, for the seven churches who would have been a, a minority part of an outwardly weak and fragile religion, these chapters would have just meant so much. They inspire confidence and they, they give hope and they impart strength to those who follow a crucified saviour. And yet at the same time, these chapters also would have given great opportunity for reflection. They're here to help the seven churches and to help us reflect on the way we live in a very seductive and pagan society. You see, they question, these songs, they question our worship, our loyalties, our direction in life. And so for all these reasons, I think these chapters are here for us as well. Ultimately, Revelation 4 and 5, they show us what to sing in a world of songs. And so this morning, here's the first thing we can sing. Revelation chapter 4. Our holy God reigns. You see, here in chapter 4, John encounters God. You would have heard that this morning as Hamish read it. And the constant message here is that our holy God sits on the throne. Now, I know for some of us, this idea of holiness or God's holiness can seem a bit tricky or foreign. But for God to be holy, it simply means that he is separate or he is other. He's different. It means that he possesses qualities, divine qualities, which are in contrast to human qualities. He is other. And God's otherness is first depicted by John's description of the one on the throne. Take a look at verses 1 to 3. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. 
And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. You see, John describes the one sitting on the throne being in unapproachable light. All John can do is describe God's appearance by comparing him to creaturely objects, to stones and rainbows. It's a picture of a God who is other, who dwells in light, who radiates light, who is light. But that's not all. God's otherness is on display by the description of the things surrounding the throne. Take a look at verses 4 to 8. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes, all around, even under its wings. You see, we've seen this vision before. Much like the prophets in Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 1, God's holiness is depicted by the things that surround him. He's surrounded, you'll notice, by other thrones. These 24 elders who are probably these royal, angelic-type beings with power and authority, suggested by the the golden crown. God is also surrounded by lightning and thunder. It's probably a flashback uh, to the cloud from the Exodus wanderings and the rumblings of Sinai. God's also seated upon a sea of glass, like crystal. It's probably referring to God's authority over the seas of evil from where Satan and the beast, as we'll see in the later chapters, will come. And finally, John sees these weird kind of crossbred creatures who stand closest to the throne, this higher order of angelic life. You see, God is awesome, isn't he? His holiness is just depicted by extravagant colour, sounds and life. And then all the visual turns to audio. Take a look at verses 8 to 11. Day and night, the four living creatures never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honour 
and power because you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. You see, the very imagery we've seen so far is finally put into words, into songs. And these first songs remind us that God is very holy, three times holy. He is just so other. He is just so unlike humanity, unlike us. He is uncreated. He is self-existent. The songs tell us that he's the sustainer of all things. For me to function and to move and have being, I need a lot. I need to be fed. Uh, I need to sleep. I need coffee. Uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to need more sleep. <laughs> That's what John told me on the walk in. You see, as human beings, we are needy. But God, our God, is not so needy. He is other. He's not dependent on anything outside of himself for anything. He does not need to be fed. He does not need to be clothed. He does not need coffee. He is absolute. He simply is. And these songs, they teach us that we are the ones. We're the ones who find our being in him. He sustains us. He's the one who gets you out of bed in the morning. He's the one who feeds you and clothes you and gives you life and breath. And because he creates and sustains everything, he is worthy. He's worthy of worship. You see, we have a holy God who sits on the throne and all of heaven sings to him. I hope you can, uh, you can see the great encouragement this would have been to a people who are, humanly speaking, ruled by Rome. God is holy. Caesar is not. God is almighty. Caesar is not. God sits on the throne. Caesar does not. You see, when you're surrounded by secular songs, we're reminded that you've actually got something to sing. When the tensions rise, when following Christ becomes costly, when you're just copying it for following him, you've got something to sing. God is holy. I have a God who sits on the throne. My God reigns. But I also hope you can see how this vision and its songs call us to reflect. God is worthy of all glory, not idols. God is worthy of honour, not idols. God is worthy of worship alone, not this or that agenda. The songs teach us that any worship, any bowing down, any lip service belongs solely to God. And that if anything in your life is directed away from this God, you are living in complete contrast and you're living in complete offence to what we see in the higher realms of heaven. To sing any other song, to sing any other song and not to join in with heaven is a great offence because you're saying that the one who made you and the one who sustains you and rules you and gives you life and breath is not worthy of you.
And so, brothers and sisters, we need to sing this song. Join in with heaven. Come to God. Join him. Declare God's rule. Declare his holiness. That's the first thing we can sing. Our God reigns. The second thing was that Christ is worthy to judge. In Revelation 5, John's vision continues and he continues to encounter God, but it starts to change. And here the message is that Christ is worthy to take and implement God's plan of salvation through judgment. In short, he's worthy to judge. And much like God's holiness that we thought about earlier, the idea of judgment, it's, it's not much easier to comprehend. You see, even the idea of Christ as judge is difficult sometimes for us to believe. Just because we see so many beautiful accounts in the Gospels of his compassion and his mercy. But if you put John's shoes on, if you put his shoes on, I think you'll warm to this idea of judgment. Remember, John is suffering. Back to chapter 1, he's in prison. And the seven churches, they are suffering as well. They're all in pain for no fault of their own. And I bet the promise of God's salvation through judgment, it would just be so much more precious to them. And if, it, if that sort of example feels too distant, think Ukraine. Think any injustice against people who are made in God's image. You see, if you put John's shoes on, you'll love this idea of judgment. And you'd probably be brought to tears if you saw that no one was worthy to judge. You'd weep like he did in verses 1 to 4. Take a look. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now, this scroll, it kind of seems a bit foreign to us because we don't really do scrolls anymore. Uh, but you see, the scroll, it has seven seals of wax binding it down the side. And I think it's God's plan to execute judgment on the earth. Much like the scrolls in the Old Testament, like Ezekiel 2, this is a scroll written with God's plans of judgment. And they also find its glorious conclusion in salvation, in a new heaven and earth. In short, this scroll is going to set off the rest of the book of Revelation. It sets off God's salvation through judgment. And here John is weeping. He's in tears because no creature on heaven or on earth or under the earth can open this scroll. No one can take forward God's salvation through judgment. John's in tears. But then he finds quick relief. Take a look at verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
As tears are flowing down from John's eyes, one of the elders urges him, don't weep. Do not weep. Wipe away the tears because a lion, that lion, has triumphed. He can execute God's judgment. He, the Messiah, the one referenced back to Genesis, he can take the scroll, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But ironically, John doesn't see a lion, does he? He sees a lamb, a lamb who was slain. Take a look at verse 6 to 7. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And then, again, the visual turns audio. John hears the second group of songs. And he hears why. Why this lion, who is a lamb, is actually worthy to judge. Take a look at verses 8 to 10. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This new heavenly song tells us that Christ, our saviour, is worthy to judge because he was slain. Christ is so qualified to judge, so right to judge, because he was put to death, because he was slain on a cross, because he, was, he has purchased, he has redeemed from sin, Satan and the worldly songs a people for God from every corner of the earth and because he has made them to be a people who would be God's precious kingdom of priests who will reign forever. Referring back to Exodus, a kingdom of priests who will reign with God. You see, here we're reminded that the cross, it's not just the place for forgiveness of sins. The cross is not just the place for the death of death and the devil. It's also the testing ground, the testing ground for our Lord Jesus Christ. And because he was victorious upon the cross, he is fully qualified to bring salvation through judgment. He is a conquering lion who is a lamb that was slain. I want you to imagine for a second a saviour a saviour who was not powerful, who was not a lion. How could he defeat evil? He couldn't. He would be too much lamb. But then imagine a saviour who was not familiar with weakness, who was not 
a lamb who was slain? How could he restrain himself? How could he bring compassion and grace to to sinners? He couldn't. He'd be too much lion. This section reminds me maybe of a better illustration of the scene from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. In conversation with Mr Beaver and Susan, we hear this. Mr Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, Mr Beaver says. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, Christ is both the lion and the lamb. He is all these things. He is perfect. Worthy to take the scroll. Worthy to judge and save. And like our holy God, who sits on the throne, he too is worthy of all worship. We see that in verses 11 to 14 as we hear more songs, this increasing of noise and audience before the throne. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. I don't think they could add anything more to that. Then I heard every creature in heaven on an earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You see, it's an amazing picture, isn't it? The whole of the cosmos sings to God and to Christ. The vision, this vision and its songs, they're a huge encouragement to the seven churches and even to us. In the midst of Rome's oppression, the church had something to sing. Christ is worthy to judge. When when society makes you feel small, when you in your classroom or at your work feel weak, useless, stupid, backwards or unbelievable for following Christ, you have something to sing. Christ is worthy to judge. He has conquered. Or when you cry out, why God? Where are you? God, come and fix this. God, come and bring justice and make things right. Again, Christ is worthy to judge. When you make the hard choice even to to let your religion trump your sexuality, when you make the hard decision to let your religion trump your finances or your popularity or your success or your child's future and when the world sings back at you really that's what you're doing that's what you're going to do you have something to sing to sing to God and to sing back at them 
Christ is worthy to judge. But you know, this isn't just an encouragement for life out there in the world. It's also an encouragement for here, right now, in church, on Sundays, as we gather together. It would have been an encouragement to them and to us that as we gather, as we pray, as we sing, as we say amen, we are doing something heavenly. We're doing something heavenly. In the midst of a church service which might feel plain or awkward at times or a bit bland or it just doesn't do much for you, you are doing something heavenly. You're joining with the heavenly realm. You're declaring with them that Christ has triumphed, that he is the lion, that he is the king of the jungle. Ferocious, strong, by no means safe. And yet a lamb, the lamb, who was slain for you, to purchase you, to bring you to God. In my family, um, we've had a history of singers. (laughs) My grandmother, my mother, her sister, her sister's daughter, you kind of get the picture, they all love singing. Uh, But to my grandmother's utter disappointment, neither I nor my brother took any interest in joining our high school's choir. Sure, we love singing war cries on the sporting field and we would belt it out, but joining the real choir... It just wasn't for us. And that's okay. No thank you, we said. Today, as you've heard these heavenly songs of Revelation 4 and 5, can I urge you, don't be like my brother and I. Join the choir. Join the heavenly choir. Join in on these heavenly songs. When your loyalty is questioned, sing, Our Holy God Reigns. When you feel bruised or battered, sing Christ is worthy to judge. When you're tempted to give yourself to other songs, to a different song, a secular song, sing God is worthy of all glory, honour and praise. When you come here to 8.30 next Sunday, gather as if you've come to a holy God. Pray as if your requests come before the throne and are held by the elders' hands. Sing Amen as if you can see the four living beasts. Sing like you're standing on a sea of glass before the heavenly throne. Sing like you're there in Christ, in the heavenly realms. We live in a world of songs. So join in with heavens.